Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s, with yours truly, Glenn Robison, on Island Radio, KISL Avalon, at 88.7 on your FM dial, and at KISLAvalon.com on your internet dial. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this evening's show, we're going to Lose It, Do the Polka, Jangle Some Keys, Knock a Jug, and Eat Some Spanacia Oloracea. Last week, we had a segment about the WPA, or Works Progress Administration. I almost included in that set the tune which is going to start off the show. It's called the WPA Polka, but it has nothing whatsoever to do with the Works Progress Administration. I will, however, tell you what it's all about in the back announce of this set of polkas. Thank you. 
record right there is what started the polka fad here in the U.S. in 1939. German accordionist, composer, and bandleader Will Glahe was born February 12, 1902, and became one of the most successful musicians in Germany, leading his own orchestra beginning in 1932. In 1934, Will Glahe's Musette Orchestra recorded a tune written by Czech composer Jaromir Vejvoda, known as Skodalaski, or Wasted Love. In 1939, it was released in the U.S. under the title Beer Barrel Polka and became a huge hit. Before Beer Barrel Polka, it was the New Mayfair Dance Orchestra with See Me Dance the Polka, written by George Grossmith. That HMV 78 was made in London on May 10, 1933, and was therefore not a reaction to the popularity of Beer Barrel Polka. 
We started off that polka set with Eddie DeLang and his orchestra and WPA polka, written by Kurt Marr. The WPA polka has nothing whatsoever to do with the Works Progress Administration, but was part of the polka fad in the U.S. started by the unexpected popularity of beer barrel polka. In this case, WPA stands for Wally Pollyanna. That was an instrumental recorded in New York on July 12, 1939, but there are words which are written by Vladimir Tim. He came up with the English title for Beer Barrel Polka, and Eddie DeLang also recorded quite a swinging version of it. I'm Glenn Robison, and you're listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. Last week I played WPA by Jan Savitt and his Top Hatters Orchestra with pianist George Tunnell providing the vocal and credited on the label as Bon Bon. I mentioned that he was an original member of the Three Keys. Well, here they are to start off a set of rapidly rotating records about keys. Flowers give up to the bee. I've seen lightning in a shower tear down pretty trees. Sweethearts break up just to make up. Love looks on and grins. Somebody loses, somebody wins. Thank you. 
there is the record that ignited my passion for vintage music when I heard Dr. Demento play it on his show in the early 1970s. Thomas Fats Waller and his composition, Handful of Keys, from the original Victor recording made in Liederkranz Hall, New York, on March 1, 1929. Before Fats, it was jazz violinist Hugo Rignald and his quintet with Calling All Keys from November 19, 1935. Hugo Henry Rignald was born in England May 15, 1905. His father was an orchestra conductor and his mother an opera singer, and Hugo studied violin as a child in Winnipeg, Canada, and later at the Royal Academy of Music in London. Despite that classical music upbringing, in the 1920s and 30s, Rignald played violin with lots of different jazz and dance bands, and led his own groups, including the London Casino Orchestra. During World War II, his interests changed to classical music, and he directed the orchestra of the Royal Opera House, the Liverpool Philharmonic, the Royal Ballet, and the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. Hugo Rignald died May 30, 1976. And we started the segment with the three keys, and somebody loses, somebody wins, from a Columbia 78, made August 29, 1932. The vocal trio The Three Keys were string bassist Bob Pease, Slim Furness, who also played guitar, and George Tunnell, better known as Bon Bon, who also played piano. J.C. Johnson wrote the tune, and Nat Schwartz and George Whiting the words. A couple of weeks ago, I played Lil Johnson's Rug Cutters Function, which contains the line, Let's all get together and knock a jug. 
Knock a jug is 1920s and 30s slang for getting drunk. And we're going to do some jug knocking of our own, beginning with Leroy Carr. I saw your mama in Kansas City. The way she was looking was a doggone pity. Feet on the ground, clothes wasn't clean. Dirtiest old stuff I ever seen. Oh, kind mama, Papa wants to knock a jug. And I got a gal, she's big as a bull. She never stops drinking till her belly gets full. Gets full of liquor and tries to sing. Tight like that and shake that thing. Oh, kind mama, Papa wants to knock a jug. I asked her about it, she said, for long, let's get together, cause your water's on. Let's get started and be long gone. Let's get together, what you waiting on? Oh, kind mama, Papa wants to knock it up. I saw your mama way last spring. Eyeballs shining like a diamond ring. Staggering down the street, hollering and a fussing. I tried to stop and I got a good cousin. Oh, kind mama, Papa wants to knock a jug. I saw your mama, your papa too. What they was doing just won't do. I slipped up on them and took one look. What they was doing wasn't in the book. Oh, kind mama, Papa wants to knock a jug. Some loving, you want it cheap. Go down on Ellsworth about the middle of the week. Show them across the quarter, they won't let you go. It's four or five times and then some more. Oh, kind mama, Papa wants to knock it up. Beat it, 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 Nigga ain't big enough. I ain't 
though you my little too. Come on, Aggie. You better sip. You ain't so sweet. Not this last job, baby. Not off your feet. Come on, folks. Everybody, knock a job. Louis Armstrong and his orchestra, who were knocking a jug. OK8703 was recorded in New York on March 5, 1929, and Knockin' a Jug was written by Armstrong and Eddie Condon. In the band, Jack Teagarden trombone, Happy Caldwell on tenor sax, Eddie Lang guitar, pianist Joe Sullivan, and on drums, Kaiser Marshall. Before that, Frankie Halfpint Jackson, J-A-X-O-N, and Let's Knock a Jug recorded by Vocalion in Chicago on February 13, 1929. We started off with Leroy Carr and Scrapper Blackwell on Papa Wants to Knock a Jug from a Vocalion 78 made in Chicago on January 16, 1931. I believe this is the first time the duo has been played on the show, even though they recorded prolifically. American blues singer, songwriter, and pianist Leroy Carr was born March 27, 1903 in Nashville, Tennessee, and grew up in Indianapolis. Blues guitarist and singer Francis Hillman Blackwell, better known as Scrapper, was born February 21, 1903 in Syracuse, South Carolina, one of 16 children. The pair met in Indianapolis and formed their guitar-piano duo in the late 20s. In 1928, they recorded How Long, How Long Blues for Vocalion, which became quite a hit. 
They toured throughout the Midwest and South between 1928 and 1935 and recorded more than a hundred sides together. Unfortunately, Leroy Carr was an alcoholic. In addition to Papa Wants to Knock a Jug, he authored and recorded Sloppy Drunk Blues and Hard Time Done Drove Me to Drink. He died from nephritis on April 29, 1935, at age 30. Scrapper Blackwell also had a tragic end, shot and killed in a mugging in Indianapolis on October 7, 1962. And I think that's just about enough jug knocking. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7, KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. This and all our previous shows are also available 24-7, on demand, anytime at all, online at RapidlyRotatingRecords.com. And we're on iTunes as a podcast and part of the Global Community Radio Network. On last week's show, I mentioned being forced to eat fried liver for dinner, despite trying to make it clear to my parents it wasn't a good idea. Not wanting to spoil your dinner tonight, let's just say I ate the liver as instructed, but it came right back up. Funny thing, I was never again forced to try anything I didn't want to eat, and I've never eaten fried liver since. Together, however, we're going to consume some musical liver, as provided by the Weedoft-Wadsworth trio. And that will be followed by at least a couple of helpings of a vegetable which many people don't care for, but which I happen to like a lot. Thank you. 
nut named Willie White up the street from me. And he has an appetite that's freaky as can be. When he sees a restaurant, he dashes through the door. They bring him shafts and he gets mad and you should hear him roar. What? No spinach? Don't tell me that. What? No spinach? Hand me my hat. I don't care for onions. They hurt my bunions. Why don't you try them on the cat? Meow! Oh, I wish that the fish that you gave me was down at the bottom of the sea. A, B, C, G. What? No spinach? What? No spinach? That's a finish of me. Fred Waring's Pennsylvanians, and I say it's spinach, from February 28, 1932. The vocal refrain was by Nelson Keller, Stuart Churchill, and Claire Hanlon, and we heard a bit there at the end from Polly McClintock, an original and lifelong Pennsylvanian. 
I Say It's Spinach is from the show Face the Music, with the play by Moss Hart and music and lyrics by Irving Berlin. It opened February 17, 1932, at the New Amsterdam Theater, following a tryout engagement in Philadelphia. The show ran for 165 performances, and following a brief tour, had a return engagement for the month of February 1933. Face the Music dealt with the scandal-plagued administration of New York Mayor Jimmy Walker, and was based on the investigations that Judge Samuel Seabury had begun in 1931 into the corruption surrounding the city. The phrase, I say it's spinach, comes from a cartoon in the December 8, 1928 issue of the New Yorker magazine, drawn by Carl Rose, showing a modern mother at the table trying to convince her young daughter to eat her vegetable. The caption by E.B. White has the mother saying, Eat your broccoli, dear, with the daughter replying, I say it's spinach, and I say the hell with it. Broccoli was not widely known at the time, but the spinach joke quickly entered the vernacular with the anapodoton I say it's spinach, implying the unspoken second part, I say the hell with it. And in the Pennsylvanians' recording, they use the full phrase, rather scandalous for 1932, I'd think. That was preceded by Irving Aronson and his commanders with what? No spinach? from June 25, 1926. That novelty song was written by William G. Tracy, Hugh Aitken, and Dinty Moore. William G. Tracy also wrote the words to Them Their Eyes, and Dinty Moore was actually New York restaurateur James Moore, the inspiration behind the character Dinty Moore in the comic strip Bringing Up Father, drawn by George McManus. Like I Say It's Spinach, What? No Spinach was based on the caption of a cartoon this one drawn by Thomas Aloysius Dorgan, who signed his drawings as Ted. The joke, of course, is that everyone hates spinach, and the speaker is feigning outrage at the fact that the restaurant has no spinach on the menu. Tad is also responsible for the phrase, yes, we have no bananas, and many others. We started off with some liver and bacon, cooked up by the Weedoft-Wadsworth trio. That Rudy Weedoft tune was from Emerson 10249, recorded in August of 1920. And the Wadsworth in Weedoft-Wadsworth trio refers to saxophonist Wheeler Wadsworth. Have a particular song or artist you'd like to hear on rapidly rotating records? Well, you can send your requests and your comments about the show by email to glenn at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or send cards or letters to Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. That's glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. As you know, I'm a big fan of words and vocabulary. A couple of weeks ago, I saw an announcement by the folks at Merriam-Webster that they had just added 250 new words and definitions to the dictionary. Among the new entries are hive mind, froyo, Internet of Things, Onboarding, and Schneid, S-C-H-N-E-I-D, a slang sports term referring to a losing streak and which has its origins in German phrases disparaging tailors. Well, we're going to have a musical losing streak here, beginning with Bud Spate's Harmony Boys.
got the swellest proposition, and I keep wishing that you'd agree. Cause honey, in my life there's only one ambition. It's concerning you and concerning me. Now I haven't got a nickel, and you haven't got a dime. But I'm not so very busy, dear, and you've got lots of time. I hope, like a day, now what have we got to lose? Very fond of walking, cause I haven't any car. And the church around the corner, dear, is not so very far. I hope, back a day, what have we got to lose? I did the little that's a song that we can sing the whole day long. I hope, if anything goes wrong, we'll just sing our worries away. Now we won't let little troubles upset our sweet romance Cause history, dear, will tell you that Columbus took a chance I hope, back a day, what have we got to do? I'd like to tell you a story about a young girl, about 18 years old, about five feet two, and about to go out. Now her mother, realizing it was her first time out with a young man, called her into the bedroom and said, Minnie, you're all dressed up in your finery, your very best clothes, and you look beautiful. You're gorgeous. You're alluring. You look swell, baby. And now, Minnie, I want you to remember everything I've always told you, and above all, I want you to be very, very careful. But she had to go and lose it at the Astor. She didn't take her mother's good advice. Now there aren't so many girls today who have one. And she never let it go for any price. They searched the place from penthouse to the cellar. In every room and underneath each bed Once they thought they saw it lying on a pillow But they found it belonged to someone else instead But she had to go and lose it at the Astor She didn't know exactly whom to blame And she couldn't say just how or when she lost it She only knew she had it when she came they questioned all the bellboys and the porter. The chef appeared to be the guilty guy. And the doorman also acted quite suspicious. But he coyly said, I'm sure it wasn't I. But she had to go and lose it at the Astor. It nearly killed her mother and her dad. Now they felt as bad about the thing as she did. After all, it was the only one she had. They just about completed all their searching when the chauffeur walked up with it in his hand. All they did was stand and gape. There was Minnie's sable cape, and she thought that she had lost it at the Astor.
Harry Roy and his Mayfair Hotel Orchestra, April 3rd, 1940, with the story of Minnie losing it at the Aster. What? What's that? Her sable coat, you filthy-minded people, which she didn't lose after all. That comic song was written by Don Ray and Hugh Prince under the pseudonyms John Doe and Joe Dokes, and although innocuous by today's standards, it was banned by the BBC and censured by ASCAP here in the U.S. Phil Harris and his Coconut Grove Orchestra asked the musical question, What Have We Got to Lose?, from the band's one and only commercial recording session for Columbia on March 3, 1933, and issued on Royal Blue Columbia 78, number 2761D. That was recorded at the Freeman Lang Recording Studios in Hollywood, which had provided transcription recording services for Harris's radio show. Also in 1933, the Freeman Lang Studios recorded the reminiscences of actor Joseph H. Hazelton, who as a young boy was a witness to the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln. The only known copy of that record is at the Huntington Library here in Southern California. What Have We Got to Lose was written by Gus Kahn, Louis Alter, and Charlotte Kent. We started off that losing set with Bud Spates, Harmony Boys, and Don't Lose It. Unfortunately, nothing is known about Bud Spate or his Harmony Boys, although the band may have been from Wisconsin, and the tune was probably written by a member or members of the band. That was a test pressing recorded by Paramount in Grafton, Wisconsin around June 9, 1930, but it was issued on the Broadway label, number 1389. I'm Glenn Robison, and you've been listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention. Thank you.